you know, writing, standing up in front of people. We just stand up in front of or sit down in front of a microphone every Thursday. But some people can be brave. They can actually stand up in front of people that they don't know and be funny. We have a real author here and comedian, Justine Sless. Not only does she write about how hard it is to do stand-up comedy, she also does it. Welcome, Justine. Thanks, Jen. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's a pleasure. Now, we've warned Justine that today's show is a bit... Bitsy. Bitsy. Well, but, but we're also giving Justine plenty of comic potential here because of the craziness of how this session is going to run. Just Now, talking about odd, we come back to jokes and Justine. Justine, what makes a good joke? Mm, usually a good joke is something that uh, has a surprise twist at the end. So if you look at basic joke construction... It's a setup. It's usually fairly factual, and then the punchline is something unexpected, exaggerated, or a twist that makes you laugh. I've usually, the element of surprise makes you laugh. But I've found in some of the uh, comic performers I've listened to, they actually make something out of the ordinary, yeah. everyday things that are going on. Around us, if actually people knew what was going on behind the scenes, behind the radio console, they'd be laughing as we are now. Uh, but it's it's that that is humorous when they give you a perspective on ordinary everyday things, and you think, "Wow, you know, I just hadn't quite looked at it that way." Isn't that yeah, full of it, fun? Absolutely, it's about taking the ordinary and making it extraordinary, and also joke construction relies on patterns. So often people use lists or rule of three, so it's uh, establish, maintain, surprise. So even in storytelling about everyday events, when you deconstruct it, you can see joke construction. So, um, so authors are a joke, is this what we're saying? <laughs> Hang on. Hang on a Hang minute. On. We can't say that on published or not. So the birth of modern stand-up. You have a section in your book, and we should, we should say that, Justine, the book we're talking about is called The Mistress of Mirth's Comedy Tour. And one section, as I say, is the history of stand-up. Tell right. us a bit about it. So I guess I see the birth of modern stand-up as happening in the Catskills in New York, which was just outside of, uh, of New York, and a lot of uh, Jews went there and holidayed there. And there was a captive audience, so they had theatres, they had um, evening events and they needed people to entertain everybody who was on holiday. And people who we know in the modern stand-up era, you know, people like Mel Brooks, like um, John Rivers, cut their teeth in the Catskills. But you made an interesting comment about the number of comedians, the proportion of them. Of Jews. Yeah. So in, in post-war America, uh, 3% of the population was Jewish. 80% of the comedians were Jews. <laughs> I'm not saying we cornered the market on funny, but pogroms persecution often lead to fabulous punchlines. But again, <laughs> out of suffering. Out of suffering. And also I, I did a gig with John Saffron the other week down at East Melbourne Synagogue and he made a great observation about why Jews are funny, particularly he's got a, he's got a licence to do that I reckon. And what he said is because we question all the time, we question everything and when you question everything it gives room for humour 
So it's Judaism isn't really just a dogma. Well, you're taking, not that Judaism is doing this, but when you question, you take everything almost to an absurd extent to fathom yeah. out the full potential of it. Yeah, yeah. Questioning gives you space, right? Space to to explore ideas rather than just accepting it as a doctrine. Yeah, I thought it was a great observation. Yeah, mm. I think it's also the acceptance to laugh at your in-laws yeah. and laugh at the food. Yeah. <laughs> but that's yeah. not just Jewish, that's no. universal, surely. Probably. Yeah, we, and, that, and that's the thing about joke construction too, it relies on types. People who we've seen before, types of people, types of personalities. You're telling me that the Irish are funny. I don't know about that. <laughs> Something, see? So we kind of go, oh, that's it. Like the Irish have a particular type, Paddy or, yeah. you know, the McDermott's. Yeah. yeah. But your book is mm. called A Comedy Tour. Mm. And we don't just have the history. We mm. have, we're, we're taken on a tour mm. all around Melbourne, mm. taking you to different places. Well, explain a bit about that, please, yeah, Jessica. So the, so the, so the uh, Mistress of Mirth began life as uh, my master's by research. And try as I might, I could not write in a traditional academic style. <laughs> I really tried really hard and it would hurt my head. So I adapted it to a first-person narrative, taking people on a comedy tour. And comedy is an acronym for call out male entitlement daily y'all and then the thesis the whole book is predicated on the idea of the joke so the idea of incongruity that again creates laughter that you you you, you're given something that you don't expect but talking about incongruity you the the academia and Mm. the comedy is that incongruous or is does it dovetail the research that you've put in and you think that comedies and jokes are spontaneous, but they're not. Oh, no, comedy and jokes aren't. Look, you know, the point is any good comedian will make it look spontaneous. Mm. That's the very point of any doing anything well, isn't it? But academia then is, is yeah. discipline. There yeah. has to be a discipline oh, yeah, yeah. for yeah. comics as well. Yeah. So I take people on a comedy tour and it begins in Burke Street Mall and goes into a department store and it really everything then plays out as a joke. So I incorporate academic writing and academics like Judith Butler, a great you know philosopher who talks about gender and performativity. She makes an appearance in the um, in the haberdashery and the homewares store because it's just ridiculous to place her there. And we've got the droll oh, yes. doll area. Yes. And of course, uh, but they're very different types of dolls that are being sold in this uh, department store of dolls, aren't they? They are. Um, well, one of the first female comedy dolls you, yeah. you have is Phyllis Diller and Joan Rivers. You know, they or mm. Phyllis Diller sort of, I remember Phyllis Diller. And she was always wild hair and you yeah. know, sort of you just had no idea what she was going to say. But as you say, that they were sort of disguising that they were female. Yeah. So the idea with the droll dolls and there's droll dolls, which are manufactured dolls, which somebody who read it said, oh, where can I get them? You can't actually get them. <laughs> Though I reckon there is a market for them. So the droll dolls represent the changing nature of self-deprecation in comedy. So originally women had to hide their femininity in order that the viewer, predominantly male, 
the gaze is not upon the woman and focuses on the actual material. So Phyllis Diller is used and then John Rivers and it kind of progresses right through to, you know, modern day stand-up, through to Hannah Gadsby, through to Adrian Truscott. And each doll comes with a little line that they say which indicates the changing nature of self-deprecation. I just always staggered that Latrobe, you need let me write a thesis like this. (laughs) But, you know, what a joy, really. You quote comedian Corinne Grant in your book and I just sort of thought, well, that's probably an interesting way to sort of think about stand-up comedy and just how you do do it. This is a great quote. So Corinne Grant, who went from comedy to law, which is unusual because normally it's law to comedy, actually. So Grant sums up comedy beautifully when she says, freeing up myself of the gender-specific prefix, here's what it's like to be a comedian. It's a job. It's a skill. It's a lot of smoke and mirrors. Stand-up comedy is an apprenticeship. You can't learn it from a book. You need to get up on stage and learn by doing it often. Learn by failing at it. It's not for those of the faint-hearted, the fragile ego or the false sense of identity. It's not for the slow-witted, but it is for those who are willing to pretend they are (laughs) slow-witted. Pretend they are slow-witted. Oh, my goodness. Stand-up used to be all male and you've got an area in the book that talks about how it became perhaps more female friendly yeah yeah i did um thanks everybody for listening and contributing don't forget to dial in nine four one nine eight three seven seven she's well tried <laughs> thank you correct? justine she was oh, warned it was going to be a difficult <laughs> just show community radio is awesome it's the art of stand-up being able to take the moment and yeah. and work with it <laughs> Uh, yes, yeah, so, so stand-up comedy predominantly used to be run by men with an audience of men and booked by men. That, of course, is eroded over time and it's eroded for a number of reasons that more women want to do stand-up and have carved out spaces amongst the, the strange locker room environment that is stand-up comedy. Of course, the democratisation of the internet has allowed people afforded women incredible success like the the guilty feminist podcast um tried to get funding they didn't get it so they went on their own and i think it's something like it's in the book i think it's something like 60 million downloads on a show that was not going to be sponsored by the bbc same with um the catering show began Mm. as as their own um web show and then got picked up by the ABC. But the live stand-up comedy scene is certainly changing. I, I mean, anybody can do Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Anybody. You pay 500 bucks, you get your venue, you do your marketing, you put on a show. Anybody can do that. Did I just demystify that for you, David? Well, <laughs> I, I've actually had to go out and review some of the uh, sessions of the yeah. International Comedy Festival, and some of them have been brilliant. And there have been times when I've seen a show and I'm thinking, you're kidding me, how did this get on the program? You've mm. just explained that. Yeah. Anybody can do it. But the the thing is about stand-up is there's very there are very few formal avenues in which to learn it. So going to a dark, dingy comedy room tends mm. to be where you cut your teeth. And they're, they're licensed venues, unregulated venues. And, you know, I do talk about the, the impact and the, 
the, the tragedy of Eurydice Dixon's mm. murder, who was the young comedian who walked home, was raped and murdered, um, not because she was comedian, but she was walking home late, late at, at night, night, which she should be allowed to do. My point is that stand-up comedy is generally learned in unregulated spaces, late at night, licensed venues, which is prohibitive for a lot mm. of people and predominantly women. Yes, and uh, you write about how in New Zealand and also in Australia mm. there's a certain amount of funding now to get women, comedians, home safely. You know, fire, yeah, there are initiatives that have been set up. Mm. Yeah. You, you want me to say something now? You want, you want me to be funny or something like just, that, just, Jan? I mean, just. the pressure that I'm now under to come up with something interesting. You know, no, I I will take the... Take, <laughs> I, I was moment. just playing on the comic moment, I'm going Jan. To take That's all. the rubber duck, the rubber goose. Oh. Now, this is a Ron Quantock. Rod Quantock. Rod, Rod, rubber chicken. Rubber chicken. And when I was reading your book about your comedy tour... I was thinking about him, mm. and but you know, of course, your tour went to very different places. Yeah, you know, following in that comedic researchy yeah. team. Yeah, but it was quite a good thing to do, wasn't it? Sort of, it's a clever, clever way to ex- to look as you have in your book, comedy tour. Yeah, the different aspects. Yeah, it it just it just became the vehicle on which to hang everything, so I could move through spaces. Um, not just intellectually, but physical spaces and describe them through the vehicle of the comedy tour. Yeah. We've only got six minutes for Ooh, people six to ring in. Who else and do we have I'm, to thank? You know how, how I put you on the spot? I'm going to put Justine on the spot. So I think we need a joke. <laughs> tell, tell us a joke. <laughs> oh, she's, she's not looking keen on that one. No, no, I'll do a joke. <laughs> Something funny happened this morning. If that person is listening in, I'm not going to repeat that story. Um, <laughs> there we go. It's already a setup. Yeah, set up. Let's I'm analyse not this as you go. I'm not going to give you the punchline. Uh, I guess I'll I'll do the joke about when I first started doing comedy. Uh, when I first started doing stand-up, my then-husband gave me a look. That could only mean one thing. I'm too pissed, you'll have to drive yourself to a hospital. When I started doing comedy, he said, you know, you're not funny, you know, the audience will throw bricks at you. Um, To my credit, of course, we had an incredible renovation built on the back of the house. (laughs) The comedian must always stay on top. (laughs) 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 The art of a stand-up comedian, being able to respond to a request... As immediate as that, that's, yes, that's impressive. Yes. Well, you were stuck for words. That's no, I re- wasn't. I was playing on the moment, Jan. Really? Stuck for words? As a stand-up, though, you just kind of keep old jokes in your back pocket for moments like that. <laughs> when, you know, you're a comedian. Tell us something funny. Yes. You're a surgeon. Could you do some surgery? Yes. It's just I've not got this little pain in my yeah, side yeah. here. You got your Master's after yeah. writing this book. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think is very clever. So what are you doing now, Justine? What do I do now? Can you, like very few writers, afford to be a full-time comedian? (laughs) I've sold (laughs) a day job. I've got a day job. (laughs) For my sins, I work in Broadmeadows. We need um, comic relief in Broadie. Um, I teach, write, perform and research stand-up. So I teach comedy as often as I can to as many people as I can. 
and I gig where I can. I've got a gig at Kadima, which is the Yiddish Cultural Centre on Saturday. Laugh till you plots, plots, which is the Yiddish word, you know, for fall down. Uh, it's a great lineup. Uh, yeah, go on the Kadima's website. So, yeah, teach, write, perform, research, the, stand up. The words, the Jewish words associated with comedy, shtick, mm. putz. Yeah. So there's, there's actually quite a, quite a lot. Because the, because yeah. goes goes back goes to back. the Catskills and yeah. the Yiddishisation of of stand up. Yeah. yeah, funny that. Yeah. It? I was schlepping around. Yeah, and... yeah, 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 ah. yeah. It's all coming together. Yeah, well, all coming together, and that's what our program is doing too. It's finalising. It's coming together, and I really want to thank Justine for coming in and putting up with us <laughs> and the interruptions. <laughs> But who better than a stand-up comedian? Yeah. The history and how of doing stand-up comedy and the difficulty there is for women are written about by Justine Sless as she takes us around a department store and onto the stage in Mistress of Mirth's comedy tour. So, Justine, if people are interested, apart from donating to 3CR, how can they get your book? Uh, they can get it through bookstores, through Australian Scholarly Publishing. Contact me on my website, justinesless.com. I'll send you a signed copy. 94198377. Donate now, donate now, donate now. <laughs> She's better at this than we are, Jan. <laughs> and just to thank you to, just going back through them, Gillian and, and, and Andrea, uh, Andrea. Andy, Leslie, Joe, Meredith, June. Julie, Colette, John, Barry, Amra. All of those have donated. It's thank marvellous. you. Thank you so much. But we still need more. Yeah, but we you still need can, more. Yeah, Jen, are, are we running out of time or are we not? The, the clock on the wall is a bit fast, but the clock on the computer is telling us what? That it's time to put us into automatic thingy for but shall, shall we read the phone number? One more oh, time. Oh, do, 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 please. 94198377. Don't forget to donate yeah. and get a book for your troubles, perhaps. Okay. Who knows? And this is our long radiothon. 